and welcome to Get With The Program. I'm Holly. I'm Campbell. And this is the podcast for people who just can't get enough TV. Got square eyes, as my mother has never actually said to me, but if she was a cartoon character, she would have told me that I had square eyes because I watched so much TV. Yeah, and you've kind of you've watched so much TV, like, that's it, you're completely full up, and now you're like, now I want to know more about how it's made, and maybe I could work in TV. And maybe people slightly outside the room are making noise, so if you heard that, we're really sorry. But that is also fine. Yes, it's all fine. Everything is fine. Just uh, in general. This is a safe space. It is a safe space, especially for talking about TV. Um, so before we get into the main event, which is uh, Campbell's chat with uh, Rubina Pavani, uh, this is a reminder that if you want to get into TV, if you're listening to all these podcasts and thinking, how do I get into this world? then uh, registration is currently open for our entry-level talent scheme in the network, which is completely free and sort of gives you the chance to kickstart your career in TV. Uh, and all the information that you need about that is at www.thenetwork-tv.co.uk. Or if you know, you've been knocking around in the industry for three or more years and you're looking to take the next step in uh, your TV life, then we also run a professional development scheme called Ones to Watch, which is also free. Uh, registration for that is open at www.onestowatch-tv.co.uk and there's plenty of information uh, on both the websites uh, for those schemes as well as um, on our social media. Um, also, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please do uh, rate and review us. Leave us a nice little comment or a cheeky emoji. Um, and we'd love to hear any feedback that you've got um, to our Twitter account, which is uh, at uh, GetWithPod. So, Campbell, do you want to uh, introduce your chat that you had with Rubina? Yeah, we, we had lots of fun, and uh, Rubina is someone that um, we were lucky enough to work with a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, so we know her really well, and uh, she's currently producing Things Not to Say for BBC Three, which is a fantastic show, and I think such a great way of kind of dealing with the sort of the sensitivities of kind of modern life by I feel just kind of tackling them head on Mm. it kind of in a you know these are the things we should be talking about and you know so even though she's the producer of things not to say she had lots to say to me do you see what do you you see what I did did there it's very good um but also uh Rubina is a podcast veteran herself and her um, DAS podcast, uh, which I understand is called DAS because it is the gender neutral noun in German, and I may be completely wrong about that. And if I am, I'm sorry, but I think that's uh, behind it. Um, do give that a listen as well, um, because uh, that is definitely more hard hitting and socially relevant than what we do. But it's apples and oranges. You can eat both. Yeah. You can eat this TV sized apple. And then you can also go and eat that Ishi. political orange. Yeah. And you'll be healthy. Yeah. One of you one of your five a day of yeah, podcasts. That'd be that'd be two. And then the other three could be I don't know. Adam Buxton, uh, Rich Herring and Debrief Podcast. So my recommendations. Yeah. So I'd say that's a banana, a kiwi fruit and a peach. Yeah. Uh so we've we've slightly derailed where we're going with this, but Without any further ado, this is my chat with Rubina. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, hopefully over the next hour we'll have a nice chat about television and making it and enjoying it. Do you remember what 
sort of role TV had when you were growing up? Like, what were some of the earliest memories of television? Well, my dad loves television. He's like, he's got the biggest TV you've ever seen in your life on his wall. Like, you can see it from outside the house. It's just like blinking. Uh, and so it was the kind of central social point in our house. And we never had dinner like at a dining room table like everybody else. We were TV dinner people. And yes, yeah, Saturday night, Saturday days if we could have them as well, just like consuming a lot of television. So it was the kind of television that needed like a big structural bracket to hold it on, it sounds <laughs> yeah, like. Exactly. Well, it's just gotten bigger and bigger over the years as well. My dad's now, he turned 70 this summer and he's got like, it just got bigger. It's like, you know, he made more money and like, which is good because I always feel like, if I'm, I don't live at home anymore, I'm always like, there's a little bit of me in my parents' house where I work inside there. Yeah, that's cool. And so what kind of programmes did you watch together in? A lot of trash, a lot of trash. We were a game show family, loved the game shows. I was obsessed with the gladiators when I was younger. Me and my brother watched all the gladiators. It's kind of a thing like even if you needed to pee, you would just wait. Like you needed like you'd have to watch every second of it. And that was probably the stuff that started getting me excited about telly. Just even like the theme music and it's like really high octane. Like basically there's these people who are like human superheroes that come out and do these like insane things. At like I remember it was like at this indoor arena in Birmingham and I'd never been to Birmingham and I thought that must be a cool place to go. Um, yeah, so stuff like that, like Saturday night, Jonathan Ross, we used to watch Jonathan Ross together as family. Um, well, it's Matchman Man oh Man. Briefly, was that the one with I seen all I remember from that is Chris Tarrant and men being pushed into a swimming pool. It's amazing. like the ultimate it was it was the original um, What's the light turning? Take oh, me yeah, out. It was, it was, it was, it was take, take me out. out in reverse. Exactly. It was yeah. women pushing men into a pool, being like, I don't want you, but I want you. So we're less progressive now. Exactly. We've gone backwards. That's a worry. <laughs> yeah, that was what that show was. Mm. Mm, so a lot of trash. Progress. I think I still, I still quite like a lot of trash. I like quite a lot of like guilty, silly stuff where you're like, oh, should we be doing this to human beings? Oh, we are, right. Do you think that's just part of human nature to be sort of inquisitive about what happens when you sort of push people a little bit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess sometimes TV can like, yeah, test human limits to, to like lots of different ends and whether that be in like dating or like like competition stuff. I think that's like, that's why game shows, while I don't work in game shows, I'm always still fascinated by like the psychological structures of playing them and like quiz writers and like how, like, yeah, how teams develop and yeah, just competition amongst humans in its, in its realist form. I was thinking programs as well like that. You clearly have people who, the way that they're structured to kind of handicap people slightly. It's because you, there's certain types of people who just go on and they would just win, but then that's no fun for anyone else or even to watch. So there's always lots of great like levelers, which yeah. I think is always fun, and how you work out the ones that actually do work. But it's like good casting. Right? Yeah, they're finding exactly. like the most diverse range of people that like reflect Britain. And in terms of watching television when you were growing up. Is there a particular programme that you watched where either kind of the inner workings were revealed to you a little bit or you started thinking, oh, like, that's something I could do? Yeah, so I was always really interested in people and I grew up in, like, a kind of a second-generation immigrant, like, in a quite com- in a community of those same immigration people. So we were interested in, like, gossip and ritual and structure and, like, relationships between people and, yeah, it kind of made me gossip. And I, I remember when I, the one TV show that I watched... Uh, which is really weird now, but it's Bruce Parry's tribe. Yeah. And I remember being like, wait a second, someone's paying this guy to go on holiday, hang out with a bunch of cool people and take hallucinogenics. I'm sorry, I should have a job in television. <laughs> this is insane. So Bruce Parry was Bruce the, kind of, the, the, the kind of the moment. Where you yeah, realized. I had that like, I can't believe he's doing this because 
I think growing up when you like trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into like your family your social circles you're constantly like watching people and watching how people and watching and seeing where you could fit in and Bruce Perry got to be this incredible anthropologist to go to these completely different cultures and embed himself and I was really jealous because he always did it from like the male perspective and he'd always hang out with the hunters and like he'd always see this patriarchal society and he would be at the forefront doing it all with them and you never saw what the women in the tribes were doing uh, so yeah I think he just needed uh, Bruce Rabina Pavani with him Parry so, Pavani so it was kind of a uh inspiring in one way but you could you could see what was missing and what wasn't being represented you're like this is very good but not quite this could be better yeah i think that's when you know like you like television at a different level is when you're watching it and being like you're kind of talking all the way through it and you're like oh why don't they try this wait who's this guy where did he come from there's no narrative structure here i don't understand this i don't like this character you know and you're like you're like trying to find ways to improve it and be part of it and you feel like involved and that's that's really nice that nice bit of being part of television uh, did you have a sense of what kind of roles there were and, and what your sort of skill set was? Like, no idea. When I first started on TV, I was like, well, someone's going to be holding the camera. And, like, who are these people? Like, where are these people? Like, there's not... No one ever, like, showed you the back end. I never had any family members who worked in TV or the media. didn't know any journalists growing up. I didn't really know anything about what roles were out there. And, obviously, you grow up and you watch films and you're like, oh, there's a director. There's a director of television. You can just, like, direct TV. Is that not the same thing as everything else? And then you see a presenter. And that was it. I was like, two people made everything. <laughs> nothing behind the camera. It's someone holding it and then presenting. Exactly. Which is probably kind of what the model is now a little bit more with, like, digital stuff and how teams are getting smaller and, like, basically lots of people are just making content on very low budgets alone with another person. So, um, no, I didn't, didn't know what jobs were out there. I didn't even know, yeah, I didn't have to get in. I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know anything really. But you obviously worked a bit of it out, <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't be talking today. Yeah. Can you, what, how, how did you, how did you figure it out? Mm. Was it kind of trial and error or? Yeah, it was a lot of trial and error actually. So when I graduated, it was 2010 and it was uh, just after the financial crash. There was no graduate jobs out there. I was waitressing in London. I was renting a place in London that I couldn't really afford, but I just didn't want to move back home. And I was just trying to figure out what to do. So I took a job up at the British Film Institute as a cinema usher. And I worked nights in the cinema and in the daytime I tried to do some internships at different places. So I worked, uh, the first job I had in television was actually for a really obscure TV channel called Cinemoir. Um, they just showed French films. Oh yeah. Sky channel. You know, in my mind, I just assumed it was still going, but obviously it isn't. Yeah, it was, seemed like not. a nice idea. Yeah, really nice idea. I'd love to live in a world where that was a successful channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I thought, I think it's kind of like the film optimists channel that you think yeah. it was, because it was just French films. People would totally be up in this. Seriously, yeah. we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I interned there and just kind of got into like the marketing space of it and like was trying to understand audiences. And I thought that was like a really good intro into telly because if you're a consumer yourself, it's really good to know who the market is because you think you're, you know, the average viewer and, you know, you realise you're not or you realise you're part of a certain demographic and you start to realise your biases and you start to realise you're making up this, like, bigger pool of people that you can make television and content for. Um, so that was, like, a really interesting intro and then I worked for another TV, like, channel and then I just really wanted to get making and get part of it. So I actually applied for the Shed Media Internship, which is, like, this big internship that runs uh, with, like, loads and loads of people. They kind of narrow them down to like one and that one person gets to jump around the shed media companies and at the yeah. time they were wall to wall 2020 I don't know what it's called now was that scheme run through Sheffield uh it might have been yes only because yeah I used to sort of 
be involved in that. But it must, must be different times because I would have remembered. Yeah, it but was. But used to work with because it is a great yeah. scheme in terms of kind of embedding the totally. stuff. Totally. I didn't yeah. get it, but. Um, oh, okay. I'll <laughs> That's I, probably why you don't remember. No, no, no. Like, I, did, I didn't decide it, but they um, they were great. And, and they, but they, they did the picking, but we sort of did some stuff with them at Sheffield. Mm. And we sort of helped fund some stuff at Sheffield. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I think I remember yeah, yeah. seeing the post on Sheffield Docfest's website yes. to be like, Shed Media is, is looking for an intern. And I went through like rounds of applications, I wrote yeah. stuff, I got down to the final 10, I was really excited. Went in for my interview right at the end and they were like, we're not going to give you the internship, we're going to give you a job. And I was like, shit, when does that happen? Like, so that's... basically apply for everything because even if you don't get it, you might get something. So better. Well, yeah. almost. I mean, okay. it was a three day a week job okay. and I was a development assistant for Yali and I was doing comedy and I was in development, like researching, writing and doing some game show stuff, which was like my dream. I was like, I was going to make the gladiators. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that's kind of like the first step. I guess that's the first door that opened for me probably that was like TV production doing it. So like this is it, this is the place. Yeah. And did any of it surprise you? Were there things you weren't expecting or was it, had you got enough of an understanding by that point to sort of get a sense of what you would be doing? I think I'm still continually <laughs> surprised by television and the people in it. And that, that makes the industry really exciting. But it also, I don't know, I guess it's, it's an evolving industry, like things are always changing. and. I know there's lots about entering. I remember my first week in television, somebody said to me, um, she's a much older lady, she sat me down and she said, oh, it's going to be really difficult for you. Because not only are you a woman, but you're coloured. And I remember being like, oh, right, did, that's a thing. Did she use that word? She used to use that word. I mean, it was like, she was older and it was like, that, because actually there's no excuse. We, no, like, we should just have, like, I have that. heard I have heard that word more recently than I would like mm. a, in a very surprising place, which I'm not going to say on mic, but I'll, I'll tell you later. But wow. Yeah. So how did, I mean, it's a bit of a sort of trite question, but like, how did that make you feel? Uh, like, well, I'd already made it because I got my foot in the door. I was, I was in a television production office already. And so for me, it was like, if I can get this far, like, I'm sure it can just get better from here. Like, it can't get worse. I'm in now. Like, somebody knows me. And I just knew that I had to, I don't know, maybe this is just like a second generation immigrant thing, but your parents always tell you you have to work twice as hard and like, I guess that's like mental training for me that I always felt like, well, I had, I was on the back foot anyway, so need to, needing to push. So just, I guess, knowing that, like knowing those unequal structures exist. I mean, they exist in society, and of course they exist in the media because that's reflective of society, but you just have to, yeah, just like, d don't believe it, make it better for yourself, I guess. Yeah, so that no one ever says that to anyone ever again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, what, so what were kind of those early projects, what were you working on? to start with for the programme? So I was a runner on um, Impractical Jokers, which was the BBC programme that they were doing, and I was doing a lot of, uh, I was in development a lot, so we were like devising new comedy shows and new game shows, so I would like do a lot of run-through game shows with commissions in the room, and um, I mean, but I was so genial, I was mainly just buying props and cleaning eggs and like doing kind of really menial work. Cleaning eggs? Cleaning eggs. There was one game show where the guy had to smash Right. Eggs on like a table with his forehead. Uh, it was a health and safety nightmare. But then my job was to whisk away the eggs so that you know the, the next round could right. happen. Yeah. Okay, so clean. So I was thinking, I was thinking like a non-broken egg that you were somehow polishing. Polishing. Or like sometimes when you get them in the boxes and they've got like chicken bum feathers on. Oh. I thought you were kind of doing that. Okay. But I mean, equally, I mean, it's yeah, it's much the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to do a lot of that kind of groundwork. And actually, that stuff can be quite fun as well, because you realise you, you always have respect for the person who does that work then. If you've ever done it, you'll just be like, what? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that you I know what you're feeling. 
Um, but yeah, I was devising stuff, writing a lot, pitching stuff. They're probably um, the impractical joke is being a runner, and that's quite interesting because it's like being a runner on a hidden camera show, trying to catch contributors to ask them to sign away stuff that they didn't even know they were on film. And that's when I really learned about how to speak to people properly and how to like get them on side and like the art of persuasion. Like all of that stuff took me ages to like get because I just realised you're trying to get, you know, trying to get someone's permission after having secretly filmed them is like the hardest running job ever. I was about to say that must be sort of contributor, sort of master level <laughs> compared to anything else you'd have to get sign off for. So what sort of things do you need to say to people and how, how unhappy were people? Well, I guess in that case it was a comedy and they were probably walking away from the situation being like, did that just happen? And then you're, you can jump in over time and be like, hey, actually there was some really funny joke going on. I figure like in all my casting and relationships with contributors, like honesty is like straight up is like my biggest thing. It's just be really open and honest and straight away and tell them as much as you can. And I do find if you speak quickly in television, it gets you quite far because by then they'll be like, what's happening? What's I'm moving hap- yeah. away. Yeah. But you've yeah. got it all out and you're like, it's this yeah. so big three, we've got you here, you know. And then maybe they'll like listen and be like, well, you're talking really fast, who are you, crazy person? Yeah, and it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so in terms of sort of dealing with contributors at that sort of side of program making, did you, how soon did you find that people kind of coming to you for a bit more kind of input and sort of your ideas? Is that something that happens naturally or is that something you have to kind of lobby for a little bit and sort of say, hey, you know, I've, I've got some other stuff to put in the mix, but yeah. not be too pushy about it? I think that's it's a really good point. It's like you, it's like if you go into any new job and as a freelancer, you're moving from company to company and like, I found that for me it really worked if I stepped back a little bit in the first couple of days and assess the dynamics, see how far I could push things and really like learn about the people there. And that's advice I would I give to like all the runners and junior people on television is like enter and be confident and be yourself, but look at everybody else's position, see what everyone's relationships are and find a way that you can work within that. Um, so yeah, I think it got to I think maybe people started like paying more attention to me after I became like a, a proper researcher on like a proper terrestrial show and then it felt like okay, this is like a real role and researcher and I'm I'm the one who can bring information to a meeting room and people will pay attention to what I have to say. Um and I guess if I did all my work and did all the stuff that they'd asked me, it was all that extra stuff that kind of got people much more interested in, in me as like a, a worker because they'd be like, oh, well, okay, you, you did that research, but you've also found out this other person that you think would be good for the job or this other kind of topic that we haven't covered in this debate. And that was the stuff that started getting me like a bit more like respect, I guess, and people just like listening a bit more. Because they knew they could rely on you to bring something extra. Yeah, yeah really. exactly. And what programme would you say you're most proud of having worked on? Uh, hands down, BBC Three's Free Speech, uh, the mental health episode. It was, I mean, that whole series was great. It's kind of like a young person's question time and it's live. Uh, it's really, it's an exciting show to work on and it is like, it was one of the best voices to give a 16 to 35 year old, uh, like, yeah, a voice, a platform to speak. And it was basically an audience of 120 people between 16 to 35 who had all had a lived experience with mental health condition and this amazing panel which had Alistair Campbell, John Ronson, uh, Zoe Hardman and Sarah Winston who at the time was the um, like health select committee chair uh, and all of them had had a lived experience of mental health condition um, whether self-diagnosed or diagnosed by a doctor and they all came on and spoke with such honesty that I'd never seen before on television at a time when we were all kind of just discovering and being more open to talking about mental health um, 
and it was just one of those moments where you know you're standing in the gallery and you're watching it live on this little monitor I was actually watching it far away from the action because I was actually in charge of the green room and stuff but I was like this is so cool I've never seen anything like this before and like what we are doing is is it's really exciting me and I'm here and I'm part of it and that was like a real real like honour. A programme like that must have provoked a lot of feedback from people was that something you got a chance to sort of engage with people who watched it like oh god that makes a big difference to me and it was great to see these things debated does that contribute to that yeah well it was actually cast by charlie braze who's a really great producer and she uh she was in charge of the whole audience and at the end we all kind of hung out with the audience and spoke to them and they were like you know 120 of our peers like they're all doing different things in this country and it, it was it was great and going and chatting to them afterwards and, and some of them just saying like i've never spoken to anyone like about this before i've never been so open or honest or like i've never actually met somebody else who had bipolar and now i'm sitting next to somebody who's got it as well and like just all of them feeling some sort of unity and community in something that was such a stigma for them in their lives. I mean, that's it just felt quite like, powerful, I guess. Yeah. And it was nominated for a Mind Media Award, but it didn't win. But the nomination was yeah. good. Yeah, that's good. But, and I think a show like that, and not just with that topic, but other sort of episodes that you would have done, probably puts you a bit more in touch with the whole country. As, as a whole mm. and can understand where people are coming from and it isn't just centred on like just London or just people from a certain background has that helped you when you're sort of thinking about developing other ideas you sort of talked about audiences earlier does that if that experience kind of inform what you do yeah I think it's really important and it's really easy to get so London centric I mean I'm from London so like this is home and like this is all I know but you know we have this great space to branch out and free speech was really good because in the same way question time toured the country to go to different cities we did the same thing and it's about getting out there and like um basing production companies out there and like moving the kind of wealth across the country and moving ideas across the country but also like we all live in this amazing age of digital technology you know you can skype someone in Thornaway and then like you know facetime somebody in wales like you can do all that stuff and we have these great resources and it would be lazy casting and lazy editorial if you only stick to the circles and the people that you know. Um, but I'm sure you find that at a television festival as well, like trying to get people from backgrounds, I mean people outside of London and people from different like class backgrounds, like the things that you have to like tap into to do that. Definitely. We ask them a lot of when people apply, we ask them a lot of questions to the point of being slightly intrusive. But <laughs> to make sure that we are sort of reflecting, I mean, as much as possible. But the best way to do it as well is just kind of get out there. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of travelling to sort of go and see people. And mm-hmm. it's good to hear what people are all about and what they're trying to do. And that's all these ways to can't claim ourselves. But <laughs> otherwise, it's, it's pretty good. Um, are there programmes that you would sort of love to work on? In your mind, you sort of have a list of things that I would love just to be part of the team that works out or maybe kind of run that show one day or like you know sort of talking about tribe mm. able to bring that back you would make an excellent series producer <laughs> now I think um, are there any other things that sort of fall into that category yeah so I watched um, a lot of the 70 year anniversary stuff the partition that came out uh, and some of that stuff it was just like what a pleasure it would have been to work on any of that just as like a British Asian growing up in this country and like uh, you know not having like real strong links to India but having like kind of cultural family and like we'll talk about it and it feels like am I connected and having this kind of yeah all of that all of that programming I thought was really really great and probably more specifically maybe uh, Dangerous Borders on BBC2 and if you watch that uh, it was two presenters who Babita Singh and um, Adnan Sawar who who travelled across the border the, from Pakistan on one side and India and talking about all the communities the very diverse communities that live along it that kind of 
is Bruce Parry kind of pimped up Bruce Parry really because they are doing it but they are they've got connection to the land they've got connection to the landscape and and they can talk about the people that they met in relation to their family and they they're British born um, but with with kind of uh, you know Pakistani and Indian heritage and yeah that was kind of nice to see it like that that kind of an, an anthropologist going back to their roots almost yeah that's sort of layered experience mm. where it might be things that they might experience firsthand or as you say you might have kind of heard sort of like already from their family and to kind of have that connection exactly. rather than it yeah I suppose things like tribe can there's a bit of this autism in there and it's about like the other mm. rather than like how you have a presenter kind of connecting it and connecting it to exactly I guess like that's more traditional television of that I'm a stranger in the land I'm this investigator I don't yeah. know anything about this but let's go find out whereas it's something that like Vice do often where their presenter is normally somebody who has a lived experience of what they're about to talk to you about so that kind of you they get more authority straight off of you. They get yeah. more that you just kind of feel like you can trust them and they're one of you almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved that. I love that series. That was really good. I uh, tried to email the director to ask her if she wanted to catch up with me. Uh, I actually looked everywhere for her email address. Uh, this is another really good bit of advice. Look everywhere for their contact details because you can try and you can just get email address to the internet. It's amazing. And there's no, I mean, privacy is just a sham on the internet. You can get anything. It's just the combination of their name will be at the end of the programme and then... Even if your email is not online, you will be able to work out the format, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Or work out how to get to someone. I couldn't find her anywhere. Her name was Rihanna, I was like panicking. And then uh, a friend of mine told me that my first boyfriend from school got engaged on Facebook. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, obviously, I'm going to like go through every photo of his and see how my life is way better than his, even though I'm not engaged. And in one of his photos, Rudy Hamid had commented and said, what a handsome man. And I was like, how the hell do you know Rudy Hamid? So I added a really cringe <laughs> message to him. I, was like, I thought you were going to say that he got married to her. <laughs> that is actually a better way that I should end the story. Yeah, um, but you know, it could, no. could be, yeah. Yeah, so I got in touch with my first childhood boyfriend and I said, can I have Rudy Hamid's email? Congratulations, yeah. who's the lucky lady? <laughs> in that order. <laughs> uh, do you find that, you know, working in television, it's very demanding. Do you still have a space kind of watching television in a, in a way that's quite separate from, from how you make it and what things you enjoy watching at the moment? Yeah, I think it. you have to make time for consuming. And again, it's like my whole thing going back to audiences. It's like you'll, you can't just uh, blindlessly make stuff in the same way that you can't blindlessly just consume stuff you got to be part of it. So yeah, definitely, I definitely made time for just, I watch a lot of crap and I watch a lot of Netflix. Um, right now I'm just killing Orange is the New Black because I'm quite late to the party on that. Yeah. So I'm really destroying all of that at the minute. But um, yeah, I always make time for it. Like it's my, it's still like that bit of escapism for me. And when I go home to my parents, which I try and do once a week, it's still our, you know, social bonding sessions with my dad watching a lot of you know, weird nature documentaries or kind of anything about Indians in the living in Britain he loves, anything of the news, you know, like everything. I, lo- I, lo- I love watching television, like always. I think I always will. And you sort of mentioned Orange is the New Black there, which sort of you're catching up on, so that would have been a blind spot for you. Do you feel you still have blind spots or things that people constantly recommend you? And like, no, 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 like, I know, okay, I'll get to it. But yeah. you haven't got to it quite yet. Oh yeah, tons. I've never seen The Wire, which is bad, really, really bad. But also there was this, um, there's this show that like I've had two people talk to me about recently, which is like Buddha of Suburbia. Oh yeah, that's great. Right. I Apparently should... it's like a TV classic that I should watch because it's like a Hanif Qureshi it's novel. It's great. And do you know what? Definitely right for a rewatch because I've not seen it maybe since it was 
basically on. I think I've got a weird memory of it now, but it, I remember being quite affected by it because I think it would have been about like, teens or something. <laughs> but it, no, it's great. I remember it being great. I remember because I revisited our friends in the north a few years ago after, mm. and that's from like a similar period. And right. uh, it's good to watch stuff like that because I think we are living in the golden age of television, as everyone says. Mm. But there was a lot of very like good shit around, oh, like way yeah. before, and it wasn't all just like American stuff. Totally. Yeah, that is good. I, yeah, I'm not going to try and talk about that. a massive disservice, and probably say some factual errors. But I remember who's the actor? Imran something. Oh, well, it's, um, oh, Naveen Andrews. Naveen Andrews, that's it. Yeah, um, but there's another guy in it who, his name completely escapes me, it's Stephen somebody. He was like the, the bad like cop in the first series of Luther. Okay. But he's in it as a kind of like a David Bowie-esque figure. I'm going to stop talking about it, because if anyone listens to this who, who knows it well, we'll be like, what are you talking about? Well, David Bowie's the soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. So the, it sounds it, like a proper TV classic. Yeah, I've never seen it's, it. it's amazing. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it for ages. Mm. I'm going to, you should watch it, and I will yeah, watch it. Yeah, exactly. We should just like get all these old like British like TV classics, like find like the archive. Actually, the BFI do have a great TV archive to look through, and that's free. Uh, yeah, I've always been quite nervous about going into the media tech. And I did it recently and it was brilliant because I was like, I sort of felt like, oh, I need to have like a, like a really academic reason to be here. But I just looked up some, I can't remember what, what I was watching, but it was very specific, like late night kind of LWT, like arts programming oh, by the wow. early 90s. I can't remember what my search term was, but it kind of threw this thing up and it's great. They just have everything. And I always, I don't know what the, the long term plans are for making that stuff just completely available. Mm. Um, and there's lots of great stuff on the BFI player. But I always wonder, BBC could technically put their entire archive online, but I feel that's something all the commercial rivals would go nuts about. Yeah. But I feel like, but just do it anyway. Are they worried that people would stop watching television and they would watch BBC archive all the time? I don't think they would. But I mean, I guess that is like watching television still, right? Yeah. Because like, that like, you know, we're all watching television on our multiple devices all the time. Like, what is, exactly. you know, not traditional, unscheduled as well as scheduled. Like, everyone's doing it in different ways, but we're, we're still doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, I've got to do some classic TV watching. That does sound really nice. Uh, and what, in terms of your diet at the moment, in, in terms of television, do you, is it kind of comedy and darks? Do you like to kind of mix it up? Or? Uh, yeah, I kind of. I like watching like quite dark documentaries as well as as well as like lighter trashy stuff because I, f- I feel like the more you vary your genres the more you feel like it also helps if you want to make television you kind of know oh actually I don't want to make anything like that but I want to make something more like this and you get to see what everybody's doing and you get like a broad overview of the industry as well even if you watch like five minutes of Love Island then you like okay well I know what Love Island is or you caught up on the new Bake Off format I'm trying to point you like, yes. well I know what's changed you don't have to do it from like a fun perspective maybe from like a kind of you know like a industry way to look yeah. at stuff as well um, yeah so I like everything I didn't stick to genres but yeah no I do quite like a like a really vice title sometimes I get quite into that like um, that thing recently which was the, the Gap Year Pedophile on BBC Three. I, I mean, saw the title. Which it was a classic. What is that title? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, like, that's something that might have got commissioned off the title. Yeah, it does sound like it. It's kind of wow. I know what those two things are. I never thought they'd be in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. This sounds horrible, but yeah. like, compelling. And it's very dark, and don't watch it alone. That's all I'm saying. Oh, God, <laughs> that, that, that does sound quite scary. Uh, 
when you um, when you think about sort of like the, the, the next step and what you're sort of working on at the moment, um, so you're currently sort of producing on things like today. Um, for people watching that, without going into I suppose sort of beat by beat, but how would you describe the process of like working on that and how long does it take and what's kind of pre-production look like? It's like the best thing I have ever done and worked on. It like excites me to no end and I feel so grateful that I get to, to make it every day. It's basically, I have a team of five, uh, four women of colour, one white man, it's quite exciting. And uh, we, we make everything for that show from casting to uh, doing the shooting schedules, we shoot it, we cut it, we sound, uh, do, we do a sound mix, we do a colour grade, and then we deliver it over four platforms. We have a Twitter version, a Facebook version, an Instagram version, a YouTube version. We are like a mini machine that makes everything on it. And we get to explore such a range of topics. So the next six I'm working on are uh, people who have vitiligo, young black men, people with dyslexia, short people, so anyone under five foot. Um, what else are we doing? People with acne and hairy women. Those are like, that's what we talk about. That's our days filled with speaking to people who are from that diverse range and talking to them about the stereotypes that people, that society makes about them and the crap that's been said to them, just flippantly said to them. Um, and I think I'm really excited mostly about like the young black men when we spoke to all of these amazing uh, British black uh, men and just those stereotypes of like, do you have a big dick? And has anyone ever come to you and asked you if you sell weed? Uh, everyone had such an experience of like, yeah, yeah, every day. That was me all the time. Yeah, totally. Like, yes. And like, oh, okay, wow. This is, wow, there's something happening here. Um, and then you can start getting excited about their stories and who they are and... Yeah, so we do everything for that, and this, and this great team I have now, and it's really fun. I enjoy it. Do you find there's crossover in some ways, because uh, we've been having our own podcast, which I feel like things are kind of not off limits on there. Do you feel that there's kind of like a, a crossover there, or you get kind of ideas that you sort of explore a bit more? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Like through the young black men uh, film, I found this woman who just um, makes uh, black stock images. So she's like, was really sick of the way that stock images are just white people in this country. So yeah. she's made a whole like range of beautiful photo photographs for black stock images so that you can use them, it's free. So it like kind of puts them out there and people can start using them uh, in general media. And I started thinking about how incredible that was. And my podcast is basically about young women in the media and talking about, uh, it's a feminist podcast, we talk about uh, redressing the equality between men and women and um, talking about kind of social structures that you know keep, keep certain people at a lower, lower starting points and trying to bring everyone to, to some measure of equality if that sounds too optimistic maybe um but yeah we spoke to i found that out through research of young black men and i think she would be great for our podcast and it just made me think about stock images and now we're trying to make a little essay film about how stock images affect the way that you you interpret media how when you read a news story actually the first thing you see is the stock image and, and how much of that informs what you feel and read about the subject matter or whatever um so yeah, I think there's so much to say there. That's such a genius solution. <laughs> to be like, well, we'll just, we'll just make, we'll make this type of photography. Free as well. Because I, I feel another area, and it's by no means fixed, but there's a lot of focus on sort of inclusivity and diversity in media and television in particular. I always feel ads don't get the scrutiny that they should, in a way. And that feels like a, a zone where like, well, we'll decide who we're casting and what we're doing. And I feel that, in a way gets into that stock world of oh well if we're just using a representative person to be like a doctor 
or a dentist recommending a toothpaste or whatever and I feel like those choices don't always get made in a very sort of like equal way yeah yeah and also like diversity within diversity I don't know people often have this like idea of tokenism to be like you can add this black person to a cast and that feels like you're achieving something and I just think there's just so much more to that uh, like I'm on a team where there's like as I mentioned there's like four women of colour and all four of us are completely different we've got completely different backgrounds our parents are completely different places we're from completely different parts of the country yeah and us coming together at a table we're never going to give you the same opinions on anything and that's when you know you're doing something that's when it feels like something's moving forward and you know and Tom, obviously, Tom's the, the white guy on the team. He's great. He's ticking the diversity box for us. It's good. It's good to get white guys for Tom in the mix. I think it's important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they've, they've had a hard ride. <laughs> uh, and in terms of sort of looking at gender, do you think that things like kind of uh, the Bechdel test are kind of, if not necessarily like solving the problems, but at least kind of giving some good indicative, measurable things to at least consider when put, putting things together? certainly in the sort of drama side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important because growing up a lot of the things that I saw made and the directors that I liked and the films that I enjoy, like all of us can reel off like amazing Hollywood film directors off like back of and they'll all be men. Like I actually went to a feminist film pub quiz the other day with my friend Charlie and we, we just were trying to make ourselves know a bit more about that so we can then inform people and spread the word because whether it's actually uh, you know, solving the problem. It's definitely highlighting the issue and dialogue's happening. And I think once that stuff starts to be discussed and, you know, goes past the boardrooms and, and goes right to the up ends and the people who really control things and who have a lot more power than I do, then we're definitely doing something good. And that, that feels right. Fantastic. Um, well, thanks for joining us. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it been fun. nice to see you. Um, yeah, uh, well, we'll look out for the new series. Yes. And um, remind me of the name of your podcast if anyone's listening and they want to check it out. Uh, it's called Das Podcast. And Das is the gender neutral, uh, the in German. Of course, so, yes. Yeah, I, das. I, I vaguely remember that. that. Is that, I didn't, I didn't think I put that together. But that's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ending on a very small German lesson. Um, so thank you. Thanks, bye.